John 19, 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, remember this phrase, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they, that be Nicodemus and Joseph, the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes and with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. You know, that's interesting. He was laid in a tomb where never a man laid. He rode on a donkey where never a man sat. He come through a womb where never a man had been. Yes, sir. Mm. Verse 42, And there laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day. For the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you right now. You know I would fail you if I tried this on my own. Lord, I, I pray you'd honor my prayer. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, and I pray, God, that he would do his work right now. And help us, Lord, to look into this truth. Help us to look into the whole counsel of the Word of God. And help us tonight to take away from it what you want us to have. And help us, Lord, not to let it end here. Help us, Lord Jesus, to take it out of these walls, through those doors, into a dark, dark, dying world that needs the light. And I pray, God, you bless this church, bless this pastor. Save the lost tonight, God. Let them see you high and lifted up, a pure and perfect Savior who loves them and wants to make you their own. I pray it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here, I want to focus tonight on a phrase in verse number 38. And he came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. If you're there with me, say amen. amen. Joseph of Arimathea is described in the verses and the accounts of the New Testament as a honorable man. Mark, Mark chapter number 15, verse 43 says it this way, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went boldly into Pilate, and it said there, he craved the body of Jesus. He craved the body of Jesus. He had to have the body of the precious Savior that had been beaten beyond human recognition. Said that his visage was marred. His beard was plucked. He was hit in the face. He was struck with reeds. He was beat with a cat of nine tails. He was stabbed with that spear. He was beaten to a point of beyond recognition. And his precious blood was spilled, not in vain, but for the sin of the entire world. But during that time, we have two men of interest in these verses, one being Joseph of Arimathea, a Pharisee, and also Nicodemus, 
also a Pharisee. You'll remember Nicodemus, John chapter 3, who came to Jesus by night and asked him questions. It's interesting that this learned man, Nicodemus, he came to Jesus. He knew the scriptures. He was thoroughly vetted in the uh, religiosity of the day. There was much education invested in him. He was a man of power and influence. But both of these men, it's noted that when they conspired against Jesus, that they were not willing to go along with it. They did not consent to the crucifixion, the death plot on Jesus Christ. They were Pharisees. The time was a feast time. Their duties were to serve in their priestly and their Pharisaical robes, uh, uh, roles around the temple and in the sacrifices. They were prominent men. They were men who could not duck out of view. Everything that they did was highly scrutinized. And we know that there was a crowd around the cross. There was the crowd who jeered. There was the crowd who beat Jesus. There was the crowd who made fun of Jesus. The crowd who mocked Jesus. There was a small crowd of women who wept and mourned over Jesus. There was a singular disciple, John the Beloved, of whose account we're reading tonight who was there with Jesus. There was a centurion who looked and said, surely this was the Son of God. There was a thief on one side who said, remember me. And while the other one cast him in his teeth. If you're so mighty, if you're the Savior, get us down out of here. Oh, there was a crowd around that cross. There was one Pharisee that we know of in that time that the cross made a difference. It's notated in our scripture that we read tonight that Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple. I think that's a rampant condition today where there's a lot of people who have secretly held some sort of, uh, of badge underneath their lapel that said, oh yes, I'm a Christian too, without ever wanting to come forward and be a bold witness or identify with Christ. That time is over. Everybody who is a Christian is identifying themselves by one evidence that I would point out it is they come to church. Amen. Hey, it is a command, but I'm telling you right now, ain't nobody got to tell me to go to church. I want to be there. There's an evidence of who is for real and who is not. And Joseph was playing a game of secrecy that could no longer be played. His game was up. Jesus was on the cross in his full view. Joseph, he, he, he fulfilled some things by his actions. T go with me for just a few minutes to the Old Testament. If you want to turn there, you can I want to point out some things in the book of Numbers. Now the Pharisees, the Jews, the priests, they were a very, very strict religious sect. And they had very, very high notable expectations upon them. In chapter number 6 of Numbers, if you want to read, you can't. Lord begins to uh, speak to Moses about the Nazarite. And the Nazarite, how many of y'all know what the Nazarites were? Not the Nazarenes. That's somebody from Nazareth. But a Nazarite was someone who took a vow 
What's the most obvious and the most popular of those Nazarite vows? They wouldn't cut their hair. Well, that was not a matter of pride and prominence. It was a matter of shame and humility. Because the Bible teaches us for a man to have long hair is a shame. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. Your grandson or not. Right. Billy Ray Cyrus, <laughs> he's out of luck. That singer from out in Texas that sung with Gaither for a while. He's a nice fella. But he needs to cut that hair. Anyways, those Nazarites, they had some very strict code. One was they couldn't cut their hair. They couldn't drink wine. And then they couldn't come in contact with a dead body. They were impure if they were. Now, there was a famous Nazarite in Judges named Samson, and he broke every one of them rules. Samson big strong. Well, he broke all those Nazarite vows. But these men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, were very, very devout men, and they would never have broken any of those vows, any of those Pharisaical rules and those religious rules, especially around the time of the, the feasts. Why? Because the feasts were so important, and the priests had to be clean. They had to be considered scripturally and legally clean. But the Bible teaches us in the book of Numbers that they were in that, in Numbers chapter 6, verse 6 through 9, if they uh, uh, came to war, they uh, uh, were in the presence of a dead body, they were considered defiled and unclean. And they had to go through a process of cleansing of their clothes and their body. And they had to go a, different, a, a certain amount of time to be considered clean. Now, if you're going on overhead, in, in Numbers chapter 9, you see that there is uh, some reference here also to that. Jesus, uh, not Jesus, God is giving Moses the, uh, uh, the appointment of the feast. He's given here in verse number 3 in the 14th day of his month at even. You shall keep it in his appointed season according to the rites of it, according to all the ceremonies of it. You shall keep it. He's talking about a feast of the Passover. He's keeping the feast of the Passover. Well, that's the time that Jesus was being crucified. The very time. And if you go on down further, you don't have to read it, but just mark it down in verse uh, 7 or so, uh, the, 6 and 7, there were some certain men who had come in contact with a dead body and they were considered unclean. And so there's instruction there for someone who was not of Israel, a sojourner, and how to be cleansed during that time. Now, I want to go to one more little place. Can you go with me one more little place? Go over to chapter number 19 in Numbers. Now, I was reading through my, my, my schedule of reading through the Bible. And I don't try to do it in a year. I try to do it quicker than that. I try to read as much as I can. And sometimes I get off my track because I'm studying for different things. But I got a little system there where I can read through the Bible about every six months according to my schedule. And I was just reading through this a couple of months ago. And I was also studying something about the life of Christ around the cross. And I came across this once again, and it just stood out to me. I've passed, you know there's those parts of the Bible that you read sometimes, and you just go, hey, 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 and begat, and begat, and begat, and the order, and the order, you know, and you just read it. But it stuck out to me. Look at chapter number 19 of Numbers. The Lord spake to Moses, the Aaron saying, this is ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, speaking of the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer. 
without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. Interesting phrase. Jesus laid in a tomb where never a man had laid. He sat upon a donkey where never a man had sat. He came through a womb where never a man had been. And this red heifer had to be one who was purely red. No blemishes, no scars, no broken bones, and no white hairs. No black hairs. Pure red-haired heifer. Side note, if you were to Google, don't you do it right now, put that phone up, but if you were to Google red heifer Israel, you will get hours of watch time. There is a red heifer society in Israel. Right now, the devout Jews, the Hasidic Jews, those guys with the little curlicues on their, thing, you know, those guys who don't mar the corner of their beard, they wear the yarmulke and all that stuff. They are right now deep into a breeding program trying to develop pure red heifers for the temple sacrifice. Do you know that they have a literal Ark of the Covenant built? And it is a rolling structure where they can move it right onto that temple mount when the time is allowed? Do you know that they've got a table of showbread? Do you know that they've got a candlestick? Do you know that they've got, a they've got it all built? And they're ready. And they're raising red heifers to see if they can get a red heifer to begin the animal sacrifice once again to purify Israel. It's happening right now. And America is flitting off in all its little homosexual humor. And all its little light-footed skinny jean t-shirt pastors. And their entertainment churchiosity. And those people are dead serious about raising red heifers. Right. Yes, sir. Yeah, who do you think God's paying attention to? Who do you think God's paying attention to? The red heifer. We got to get back. Y'all distracted me. Don't do that. Okay, look. Verse 3. You shall give her unto Eliezer the priest that he may bring her forth without the camp, outside of the camp. Remember that. And one shall slay her before his face. Eliezer was the high priest. And that red heifer was going to be a sacrifice who would before the face of the high priest give its life. Look at verse number four. And Eliezer the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight. Her skin and her flesh and her blood with her dung shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it in the midst of the burning heifer. Oh, there's so much in that verse right there. We ain't got time. Y'all quit distracting me. Look at verse number seven. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe his flesh in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp. And the priest shall be unclean until the evening. And he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until the evening. You've got to pay really close attention to verse 9 and 10 with me. If you're going to pay real close attention, say amen. amen. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. 
And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. It shall be unto the children of Israel and unto the stranger that shall not journeyeth among them for a statute forever. And he, it says in verse 11, he that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean for seven days. It goes on to say if there's anyone any who would come in contact with a dead body and refuse the cleansing would be cut off from Israel. They would be excommunicated. It would be as if they were dead, never to be let back into the fold. Any who would touch the dead body and not recant and repent and come for the water of separation cleansing would be considered dead. Any who would touch a dead body. But some hundreds of years later, there was not a red heifer, but there was the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he wasn't burned, but he gave his life. <clears throat> Don't get ahead of me, this is good. And so anyone, according to that law, that those Pharisees followed strictly to the letter, anyone who touched a dead body was unclean. And if they would not recant, they're cut off. Pharisee or not, to cleanse the sin of touching a dead body, the dead body of a sacrifice had to be applied now, when they would take those ashes, it said there, one who was clean, one of the priests of the Levites, one of those priests would gather up those ashes. And if you study through that, the commentators tell us that it said they had to go outside of the camp, outside of the city, and they would have a, a, a clean, many times, stone vessels that were carved out to hold the ashes of the heifer. They would take stone and hollow it out, place those precious ashes in that stone vessel outside the camp. And there they would stay in reserve. And then they would go get clean running water. When one would need a cleansing, <laughs> and they would capture that clean running water and they would sprinkle in the ashes of that heifer into that clean water. And, and the, the, according, we won't go ahead and have time, but according to the law of the purification, it's called the water of separation. And they would sprinkle seven times that water of separation on that one who had defiled themselves, that one who had dirtied themselves, that one who had touched that dead body. And they would go through a cleansing. And in three days, they would be considered clean. And in seven days, they would be considered pure. Unless they refused to recant and repent for touching the dead body and take the water of separation. Something had to die to cover the sin of touching something dead. <laughs> One clean. I would like to submit you tonight.
that Joseph of Arimathea, knowing that the feast time was coming, knowing that he had a job procedurally to do, knowing that he had an expectation of his office as a priest, as a Pharisee, he was clean. One clean would take the ashes. It wasn't ashes, but what, Jesus, what, what, what Joseph did in chapter number 19, verse 38, was not gather up a pile of ashes, but he took up the very body of Jesus Christ off of that cross and gathered up that limp body that was so beaten and broken and so tortured for you and I. I love that song that Brother Rodney Griffin wrote, he car- He'll Carry Me. That chorus says, I'll carry him upon my shoulder. Take up my cross and bear the shame. He got that song from a message that his dad preached. His dad researched Joseph of Arimathea and how that body would have not been anything to hold as a normal body would hold. You wouldn't just take up that body like you would some other type of body, like gather it up. It was so beaten and mangled that he would have to have covered himself completely and laid it over his shoulder to carry that body of Jesus. There was no mistaking that Joseph of Arimathea had taken Jesus, the body of Jesus. He had taken up the body of Jesus and he led it outside the camp, outside the city to a little garden where there just happened to be a place that he knew about carved out of stone, a place of burial and reception for a dead thing. (laughs) And Joseph took the body of Jesus and laid it in a clean tomb where never a man had laid. Said that he took white, clean linen. That linen is the same linen that would have been used to create the priestly garments. Showing the respect that Joseph had for Jesus as the high priest. And it said there that Nicodemus came along and he brought the hundred pounds of aloes and myrrh. That was very customary because they didn't have modern embalming type Procedures. The Egyptians were the only ones who kind of, they kind of forwarded that effort. But Jesus would not have even had all the, the, the modern procedure that we have of embalming. They would have simply taken his body as it was, wrapped it in that linen. And as they were wrapping, they would have folded in the myrrh and the aloes between the wrapping and the body. And as they wrapped that body in that clean linen, they would have packed in a hundred pounds of sweet-smelling ointment. And it said in those procedural burials that they would have created more or less a bed of those anointing spices for the body to lay upon. Such care. Joseph of Arimathea the body of Jesus. And it occurred to me as I read Numbers chapter 19 and I read John chapter, uh, uh, chapter 19. Isn't that funny? Numbers 19 and John 19. Just coincidence, I suppose. <laughs> that, Nick, that Joseph and Nicodemus both willingly and publicly 
defiled themselves from the service of the temple to take the body of Christ. They went against what was religiously accepted and even a biblical ordinance at the risk of everything. They took the body of Christ with no chance of recanting. No opportunity. There would be no way that those Pharisees who were so bloodthirsty and murderous who wanted to kill Jesus and do away with him and get him out of their way, there was no way that Joseph and Nicodemus would be welcomed back into the Sanhedrin. No way. <laughs> they took the body of Jesus. I don't agree with everything he says, but old Arthur Pink, he made an interesting statement. He's off on a bunch of stuff. You got to, in that right, brother Jesse, you got to spit out a bunch of bones if you're going to read Pink. He's a big tulip man. But he made this statement. I thought it was interesting. The Jews, before this, they had gone to Pilate and say, go break their legs, get him off the cross. They, they, it was unlawful for them to have a dead body remain through the time of the Passover. Before evening come, they wanted Jesus' body off of that cross, but they weren't going to do it. Right. Yeah. We're hands off. P Pilate, you have your henchmen, y'all handle it. Well, according to Roman custom, there would have been a grave dug out in a place where they dug all the criminals, where they buried all the criminals. There would have been three graves dug in the ground for that two thieves and Jesus. So it turns out he had two empty graves. <laughs> Just a little side note. Now, here's what I want to get to tonight. Joseph of Arimathea had to make a decision. He came to a point of decision. There was no more standing on the sidelines. There was no more hiding in the shadows. There was no more secrecy when it came to his belief. There was no more undercover action as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He had to make a decision. He had to make a decision to, to come out in the open and say, I'll take the body of Christ. I'm not serving the Pharisees anymore. I've got a greater choice than the law. Matthew 10, 33 says, But whosoever shall deny me before him, before me and him will I also deny before the Father, which is in heaven. I don't know that Joseph might have heard those words and knew that if he would have denied his Savior, who he watched die on that cross, that Jesus would have denied him to his Father. There was no more secrecy in his devotion to Jesus Christ. It had to be out in the open. It had to be very visible. And he took the body of Christ. Joseph of Arimathea had to die to his old self. Look over in Romans chapter number 6 verse 11. If you can't get there in time, I'll go ahead and read it. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those Pharisees and those Jews, they would have looked at Joseph and said, do you take back taking the body of Jesus? And he would have said, no siree. And they would have said, well, you're dead to us. He said, that's all right. I'm dead to y'all too, but I'm alive in Christ. Amen. 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 
make a decision right there. It disqualified him from the temple, but it didn't matter to him because there was a greater sacrifice than the bulls and the goats and the lambs and the turtle doves. There was a greater blood than the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves. There was a greater sacrifice that was given. Neither by the blood, it said in Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Joseph said, I'll take Jesus. You can have all that. You know why? All that is over. Put out the fire. Turn off the lamps. Don't burn any more showbread. Don't stoke the fire of the altar. Pour out the water from the laver. Go ahead and hang up all the drapes and the curtains of the temple and the tabernacle. Hey, that's all over with because the ultimate sacrifice has been made. He didn't need a water of separation anymore. He had the blood of the lamb. He didn't need the ashes of a red heifer and water that came out of a creek somewhere. He had the very water of life flowing in him, springing up in his belly like a fountain. He had the blood of Christ. They said, are you not going to be a disciple of the law anymore? Are you not going to be a professor, a counselor of the law? He said, no, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ unashamedly. Why? Because he had a greater master to serve. He was defiled in the law's eyes, but he got through grace a greater life. Ephesians 2, 1, he said, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Jesus was dead for just a little while, but he was coming back in just another little while. But it didn't matter to Joseph. He said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead in my sins, but now I'm alive in Christ. I'll take Jesus. He was deposed from his earthly position. But he had a greater position eternally. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, that is a position, my friend. You right now, if you're blood bought and you're saved by the grace of God, you are in Christ. Young lady, I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't usually do this. But I'm going to take a chance, ma'am. That's not one too many trips to Dunkin' Donuts, is it? No, no, no. Amen. That is sincere sweat right there. Now, in you is life. There was a time when maybe only she might have known. There was a time when maybe only she had a feeling. <laughs> But there is something in her that is showing up on her. Amen. And if he is in you, he will at some point show up on you. And Brother Dean McNeese, I love his explanation. He says, just picture Jesus and he's expecting us and we're in him. And he's in presence of the Father. He says, so when the Father sees Jesus and he's looking at us, he sees us in him. We're as good as there. We just ain't been birthed into that other world just yet. 
We are in him. That child, that living being is in her. And that's how we are with Christ. He said, I'm not in the law anymore. I am in Christ. You can have your earthly position. I got an eternal position in Christ. But it cost him something. It is said historically that Joseph of Arimathea would have been one of the wealthiest men of that time. Very wealthy. Now there's several legends about him and I don't believe nearly all of them because most of them are birthed out of the Catholic Church. And they said he went to England, he started this abbey and all this kind of blah, 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 blah. Uh -uh. I don't know about all that. But I have heard that for all intents and purposes, Joseph of Arimathea being cut off from the Pharisees lost everything. He lost it all. He lost it all. But he said, I might die in poverty, but I'm rich beyond compare. And if that's what it takes, I'll take Jesus. You can have your earthly riches. I'm going for eternal riches. Destitute in his body. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. It's going to cost you something sometimes in this world to take a stand for Christ. When that boss says, I need you to work every Sunday and every Wednesday night, it might cost you. It might cost you. I remember working at Brentwood Benson Publishing Company in Nashville several years ago, and there was a supervisor position come up. I was a team lead. I had a team of people that I was responsible for, and it was an expectation that all team leads should apply for a supervisor position. So I applied for the position, and it wouldn't mean more money. It wouldn't mean a step up. It'd be greater responsibility. I went and I talked to the president of the company, Dale Matthews, and I said, Dale, tell me about this position. What's going to be the expectation? What's the extra time commitment? What's the extra expectation? And he gave me a list of things that all seemed very reasonable for a supervisor position. And I said, now what about extra work over hours, over time? He said, yeah, you're probably going to have to work quite a few, you know, come in here on Sundays. And he said, I come up here on Saturdays. You probably come up here on Sundays a lot and get ready for the next week. I said, well, all due respect, sir, I formally decline whether you wanted me or not. It's going to cost you sometimes. Now, I know the mule, get, the ox gets in the ditch, and the ox gets in the ditch, and the ox gets in the ditch. I got it. I get it. I get it. But Brother Tony told us one time, he said, if your ox keeps getting in the ditch, take it to the slaughterhouse, make barbecue out of it, and get you a new ox that'll stay in the road. <laughs> hey, it's might cost you something. But you know what happened? Joseph of Arimathea, I believe with all my heart, was devoted for life. I believe he was devoted for life. Why? Because he had a position, he had prominence, and he had, uh, he had prosperity. No, because he had a greater goal. He had a greater promise. He had an eternal promise, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, uh, but that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious 
body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. There's one of these days that Joseph made a decision. He said, I'm going to lay down this, old, this robe of flesh and I'll rise into eternal glorified body. Yes. He knew there was a greater promise than any promise that the Pharisees could ever make. They were good at making promises. Just ask Judas about the promises that the Pharisees would make. Just ask Judas. Let me ask you a few questions in closing tonight. Make a few statements. Joseph had a prepared place for his physical death. But he went ahead and died to sin and never used that tomb. There may be some things that you've got prepared for and some plans in your life that you've got all mapped out. And it may be that to take Jesus and to take Jesus at his word and to take Jesus at his leading and to take Jesus at his calling, you might have to lay some plans down. You might have to lay some earthly dreams down. You might have to lay some things to the side in deference and take Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, he had a reputation but he humbled himself to be numbered with Christ. Our society is teaching and has taught for generations this right here. Get yours. Step on whoever's neck you've got to to get there and get all you can get. Cut every hamstring you can. Get it. Get all of yours. Get all of it. Heap it up. Get as much as you can. That's what our society teaches. Amen. It's all about number one. And sadly, in church, sometimes for some people, it's all about number one. Buddy, I've been sitting at that piano bench for 35 years, and ain't nobody getting me off of that piano bench. I don't care how good they are. They ain't getting me. That's my piano bench. It's been teaching this Sunday school class for 28 years. And ain't nobody taking my Sunday class away. I remember when Moses got on the ark. <laughs> Amen. I was here when we chartered the Constitution of the blah, blah. And you ain't going to tell me anything. We're going to run this thing. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. When the deacons have been there for 50 years. And in that time they've had 17 pastors. Something's wrong. Because somebody has got some power in a place that won't hold a hundred people. You know why? Because it's all about them. I'm sorry I got hung up right there. But you know what? Sometimes we need to be reminded so we don't go down that path. So we don't entertain those thoughts. So we don't let thoughts of pride creep into our heart and our mind. It's not just about you. I believe the Bible teaches us to prefer our brother before ourselves. And Joseph made a decision. I may fall out of prominence and I may fall out of my position, but I'll take Jesus. Joseph had a position on earth, but he chose to be in Christ and that was what was more important. Joseph had a religious vow. Listen to me real close right here. Joseph had a religious vow, but he traded that for a relationship with Christ. There's a lot of people who have been baptized who are going to split hell wide open. Yes, I appreciate the testimony, ma'am. 
Because I remember hearing stuff like that. Just you got to get baptized. Join the church. Join the church. Come join. It ain't about joining the church. You can have your name on every church row between here and Birmingham and go to hell. You can be baptized. The old preacher said so many times every tadpole in Chattahoochee knows your name. That's not going to get it. And being religious will not get you to heaven. Now there is a religion that Jesus approves of. Pure religion and undefiled is to visit the widows and the fatherless. You know what that is? That's real religion. Because those people have no advantage that they can offer you. Most of the time those are the people who can give you nothing. And that's pure religion. But that will only come from a personal relationship with Christ. And that just is exactly what Joseph said. I'll trade my religious vow for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Finally, Joseph had a private thought process about Jesus. Listen to me real close right now. Joseph had a private thought process about Jesus. But up until this point, he had never made a public proclamation. Well, now, Brother Adam, now, you know, that's a real personal subject. That's just, just a personal, that's a personal subject. That's a personal decision. Yeah, I know it. But he, he said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I believe he said somewhere over there, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There's going to have to come a time of some sort of visible confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Right. And, G, and G, uh, Joseph said, I can't do this in private anymore. I, I can't hold this. And there comes a time of decision. And I make a public decision. I'll take Jesus. I'll take Jesus. You can have the position. You can have the power. You can have the preeminence. You can have all the You can have all of that. I'll take Jesus. I don't know where you are tonight. I have a good. I have a good. There's a good spirit, brother Stephen, in this place. But I am not so naive to think that there's any group of people that I may stand before on the regular basis, and there might be someone, young or old, who would say. I've been coming to church all my life, but I never have been saved. And I'm so embarrassed because I figured that I just figured that everybody would just be so shocked, and I just didn't want to embarrass anybody. My daddy was a preacher, and I never did get saved because I didn't want to embarrass anybody. My, my, I, my family was so good. They were so liked in the church, and I felt like I'd embarrass my folks if I finally came forward. And I just never have taken care of that all these years. I've heard that more than once. I married a lady that said that who grew up in a Baptist preacher's home and married a preacher who in 2012 pushed her Baptist preacher husband, elbowed him out of the way to get out of the aisle and run to the altar and say, I've been pretending and I know I'm not saved and I need to get saved. She had brain surgery a couple of weeks ago. I don't ever take it for granted just because folks are in church on a Friday night that everybody's saved. I believe we got evidence that there's people who come to church 
who need to get saved. Isn't that right, Matthew? There's people who come to church who needed to get saved. Amen? Yes, sir. You glad you got saved? You glad you took Jesus? Let's just show of hands. Who all regrets taking Jesus? Who regrets getting saved? Who says it's the worst decision you've ever made? I didn't think so. How many of you wish you'd done it sooner? How many wish you'd have done it the first time he started calling you? Yeah. Oh, yes, the first time that Holy Spirit was standing outside there, Brother Jesse, in, in, in Revelation. I'm knocking. Oh, will somebody answer? I just want to come in. Oh, I wish. I didn't wait long. It was just a few weeks' time. I was a little boy. And I got saved in July the 13th. 1978 on a Thursday night in Cherokee County, Alabama. I hadn't committed murder. I hadn't committed adultery. I never drank a swig of liquor. Never smoked a cigarette. But I was lost. And the Holy Spirit come by and said, why don't you take Jesus at his word? Why don't you take Jesus? It'll be the best decision you've ever made. Can I get an amen from somebody who's saved? 